Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. Great to be here, great to see you this evening, and uh, one or two changes since I was here. Nathan's had a baby and uh, is still alive to tell the tale, so far anyway, so congratulations, and uh, yeah, keep up the good work, and uh, just great to be here. So, without further ado... um, Shall we turn to our Bibles? I'm going to read tonight from the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And uh, Acts is an amazing book. I think sometimes we lose our way a little bit and we forget just how amazing church can be. On one occasion... I was visiting somewhere, an old man said to me, oh, he said, church is boring. I thought, oh dear, something has gone wrong somewhere because church is not supposed to be boring. And if you read the book of Acts and you see what happened, how every single day of the week, people were being added to the church, that is exciting. And in fact, it is happening today. It may not be happening yet in your world or my world, but around the world there are places where people are coming to Christ every single day. There are today thousands, thousands upon thousands of people who will give their lives to Christ and will come into the kingdom of God just today while we are sat here in this service. And really, it is, I think, the greatest days to be alive. God is moving by His Spirit across the world. And of course, if we only live in our own little world and our own little smallness, then we'll think that God is small, the church is small, and what God is doing in the world is small. But if we lift up our eyes and we look outwards and we begin to look across the nations of the world, we will see that God is doing amazing and phenomenal things in our day day and in our generation. We are living in a time of the greatest revivals that have ever happened in history. God is doing remarkable and phenomenal things. And that's the book of Acts. And so we're going to read chapter one, and not the whole of it, you'll be pleased to know. Um, We'll stop before we get to the difficult names. Well, almost. In my former book, Theophilus. There you go. There's a name. You see, if you have another one, Nathan. Theophilus. Great. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. God's not finished yet. The end of the book of Acts is not the end of the story. It is just the beginning There's still things that he wants to do today in your life, in this town, village, in this area, through you, in this church, there are still things God wants to do. 
So I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit. He has not left us without instructions. Have you ever bought something and you've no idea how to assemble it? Okay, you've obviously not been to Ikea recently. Um, those of you who are men, like me, you don't need instructions anyway. You just have an innate ability to hammer things together. And um, <laughs> shall I tell you, when we first got married, um, shall I tell this to you? You don't know what I'm going to say. When we first got married, uh, we were going to put some curtain rails up in where we lived at the time. And Rachel said, do you want my dad to come around and do it? I said, I do not. This is our home now. And so um, I'll do it myself, thank you. So I got some nails and hammer and one or two other things, and I put the curtain rail up. And it had only been up a few days when Rachel drew the curtains and the whole thing came away complete with some of the plaster. And uh, I, she said, well, now what are we going to do? I said, where's your dad's number? So, uh, there are some things that need instructions. And God has left us, Jesus has left us instructions on how to live the Christian life and even how to do church. And let me encourage you, church is not about making it up as we go along. We have an instruction manual. We have a guidebook. And you know, there are times when things go on in church and we think, well, I don't like that. Okay, you're not like that. I'm like that. Okay, it's just me. You're all too holy for that. But you know, there are some times when all of us, without exception, we get off page. Do you know what I mean by that? We get so used to doing things our own way that we just get off page. And sometimes we do need someone to come along and to bring us back in line. That's what a shepherd does, actually. I've gone way off my topic tonight, but here we go. So, you know, a shepherd, they have this thing called a, a staff. I heard the story of a bishop who went to take a school assembly in a uh, school once. And afterwards, the children were asked to write about the bishop's visit. And so one boy wrote, he said, uh, Today the bishop came to our school. Now I know what a crook looks like. Um, so, but okay, shepherds have a staff. And it's not just there so they can look good on the paintings. It's there to get a hold of the sheep and pull them back into line. And all of us, well, again, I can't speak for you, but I certainly know I need pulling back into line. That's why God invented marriage, because sometimes us men need pulling back into line. And you women also, perhaps, maybe sometimes. But actually, we have a father in heaven and a shepherd who very often uncomfortable as it is, will bring us back into line because there is actually an instruction manual and we're supposed to be living according to it. And uh, God is not our only shepherd. There are under shepherds as well. There are people God puts into our life and they are not just there to bless us. And they're not just there to keep us happy. And they're not just there to preach nice sermons either. They are there also to teach, to reprove, to rebuke, to bring us back into line. And it's a blessing because God doesn't want us wandering off all over the place. He wants us on page. 
There, I got all that from one verse out of the Bible. Um, shall we keep going until I actually get to the sermon? Is that okay? After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in or with the Holy Spirit." Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking up intently into the sky as he was going. Well, he would be, wouldn't you? If I suddenly, and it's not going to happen, but if I suddenly lifted off the stage, went through the ceiling and disappeared, you would probably be stood looking intently into the sky. Two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from, heaven, uh, from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen? Amen. number of things about this story. Verse, uh, I think glasses are in order. Let's try verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me make a few comments about this verse this evening, if I may. There are a number of things we can learn about the church just from those few words of Jesus. And the first thing is this, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It was always the intention of Jesus that his church in every day, every age, and every generation would be a spirit-filled Pentecostal church. Pentecostalism did not just begin in the 1900s. It goes all the way back to the New Testament and to the days of the early church when God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church. And the book of Acts is a miracle book. And the church in the book of Acts was a miracle church because they knew about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Every generation has needed the power 
of the Holy Spirit. And we are no different today, regardless of the advancement in technology and education and many other things, personally as individuals and together as a church, we need to know about the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to know about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. We need to know about a personal Pentecost when we ourselves experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us and into our lives. Let me ask you, let me ask myself this evening, are we Pentecostal in our experience? Now, I didn't come from a Pentecostal background. I came from a very good evangelical church background, but I didn't know much about Pentecostalism or the experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But when I was a young boy and I'd got converted as a boy, we as a family came into a Pentecostal church. And I remember going to a summer camp in August, and there I heard some teaching about this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And uh, summer camps are great things, you know. It's not just an opportunity to get rid of your kids for a week and have a nice rest, although that is one of the fringe benefits, I guess. But I encourage you, if, there is a, if you've got kids and there's a good Christian camp, send them and expose them to some of the great things that God wants to do in their lives during that time. And so um, there I was, and I heard about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that actually it's not enough just to be saved and to know Jesus as your Savior. You individually, personally, need to know the Holy Spirit come upon you in power and fill you to overflowing. And I thought, well, this is something new. I don't know anything about this. This is not something I'm familiar with. But I trotted out to the front, and I got prayed for, and then thought, I'm not sure that this is kind of the right thing or not. I don't know anything about it. And so I went back to my seat. Nothing had happened, and I was in kind of two minds. But then I went back to our church, and uh, it's amazing. When you start to think about a topic, you hear about it a lot. It's like when you buy a new car. You know, who's ever heard of a Skoda? But then when you buy one, um, you know, they're everywhere. And uh, so it was with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Suddenly it seemed to me that every time I read the Bible or every time there was a preacher, that this was the topic that they were talking about, this thing called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I remember one evangelist came, and I won't mention his name because you would know who he was, but I went out of the front and he rocked me back and forward. And uh, I thought, ooh, uh, this is strange. And I went back to my seat. But um, I really began to seek and pray that what God talked about in the Bible would be my personal experience. You know, if you want an experience for God, get hold of the Bible, and whatever is in here, it's for you. Well, that needs some qualification. You know, there are some things in here, you know, um, crazy things uh, that probably are not for you, um, you know, in the Old Testament, some great stories. But what I mean is the things that God has promised to his church, they are for you. And they are for me. And I began to believe that. And so I began to pray and I said, Lord, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I need to know the power of the Holy Spirit, like what they talk about in the Bible and like what they talk about in the church. And I remember Christmas Eve, 1989. Now I realize that's last century and um, it might as well have been 100 years ago. 
89. My goodness. Um, obviously, it was before I was born. Um, 1989. I was 16 years old. You can do the maths. And 43, by the way. Um, and so, Christmas Eve. Church, uh, it was a Sunday on that occasion. Christmas Eve, Sunday. And because we were a proper church, we had a meeting. I mean, what? <laughs> Who has a meeting on Christmas Eve? But anyway, that's how we were. And so, um, <laughs> we had a, a meeting Christmas Eve. And, you know, you can imagine how happy we all were to be there. Um, and... Uh, Normal service, singing, worship, preaching, all that kind of thing. And I remember the youth group at the time, it was quite a sizable youth group, we were having a party in, I think, the youth leader's house afterwards. I mean, that was some sacrifice. Now I think about it, the poor youth leader who had kids of his own opened his house on Christmas Eve to the youth, and we took it completely for granted. But anyway, there you go. Um, you know, if people are serving in the church, just bless them and just encourage them. Sometimes it's hard, hard work. And uh, anyway, Christmas Eve, we set off after church to the youth leader's house uh, to celebrate Christmas. And it was one of those parties where everybody was supposed to bring something. And so it was a church like most churches. Three people brought something and everyone else forgot. And so, but we're quite happy to eat what the three people had brought. Uh, so I got a lift with someone and we stopped at... The only shop in the area that was still open on Christmas Eve. And they went in to get whatever they were going to get. And I was sat all alone in the passenger seat of this car. And they'd got um, a praise and worship. Uh, what did it? Not CD. What were those things? Cassette. Cassette. You remember those? When they used to burgle your car and take all the stuff out and, yeah. And you needed a pencil to, to, yeah, you remember those days. That was cutting edge technology. Do you know there were churches that had arguments about whether we should let those things in church or not because they were of the devil. Um, anyway, we had one. And so it was playing praise and worship music in the car. And so there I was sat and I began to sing along to this music. And there's a difference between singing and worshiping. Anybody can, well, I was going to say anybody can sing. <laughs> uh, sorry, Nathan, I was sat by you tonight, but not everybody can sing, okay. But we can all make a joyful noise, okay. We can all open our mouths, and it's good to sing. But there's a difference between singing and worshipping God. And I began to worship God while I was in that car. And suddenly, I just was captivated with God. Worship is not about us, really. And it's not about what we think about, what we see. It's about God. And I was suddenly captivated by God. And I began to sing along to this song. And I just had this overwhelming sense that I don't understand what I'm singing. I sounded remarkably like a Welshman. And I don't particularly like Wales in that it rains all the time when we go there on holiday. But I was singing and singing and singing. People say to me, did you speak in tongues when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I love to wind them up by saying no. I sang in tongues when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to sing and sing. And then I was just aware of this on the window. <laughs> they got their arms full of stuff and please open the door. And off we went. I went to that party. I went upstairs and 
shut myself in uh, the bathroom and spoke in tongues, sat on the side of the bath in this youth leader's house. Then I went home, lay on the bed and spoke in tongues. God changed my life forever and I was never the same again. And I can honestly say that night I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and God changed me forever. And I want to ask you tonight, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? If you can say, yes, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the year whatever, let me ask you, are you still filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you continually being filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you speak in tongues every day? You should do, because that's how we stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit that is within us. We cannot live this Christian life by ourselves, and we were never supposed to live the Christian life by ourselves. We cannot do church without the Holy Spirit, much as we've been trying to over many centuries. We need the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus promised him. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here tonight and you say, actually, I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need to be. And you can be. God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't pick and choose, well, I'll bless this one and not that one. It is a gift that is for everybody. Says on the day of Pentecost, this gift is for you, for your children, for your children's children, for all who are far off. Everybody. If you have given your life to Christ and you are following Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. And you'll never make great progress in your Christian life without being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we'll pray for you at the end. We'll lay hands on you pray for you that the gift of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and that you'll be filled. He goes on and says, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? That you may be my witnesses. The gift, the power, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not given to us to make us slightly eccentric in church services. We are not baptized in the Holy Spirit so that we can play the tambourine with a little bit more oomph. Or at all. Uh, we were at a church a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they actually came up to me and said, would you like a tambourine? I said to Rachel, this person doesn't know me. They don't realize that uh, the tambourines belong in the desert with Miriam. Um, that's just uh, out of the Bible. Um, but uh, that's not why the baptism in the Holy Spirit is given. It is to empower us to be his witnesses so that a dying, hurting, desperate world around us might know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit is given us to make us effective and equipped for service in the kingdom of God so that we can make Jesus known to this world. Jesus said to just 11 men, there you go, there's the Great Commission. They must have thought, how on earth are we, 11 men, going to change the world with the gospel? He said, well, don't go anywhere yet. Get the power of the Holy Spirit. 
then go and change the world. It is the Holy Spirit who changes us so that we can change the world. He said, you will be my witnesses. We need to be Pentecostal, but we need to be evangelical. We need to know about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to know how to share it with people. It's a terrible thing to keep the best kept secret locked up and hidden from people who need it. And yet that is what we are tempted to do so very often. And yet the gospel is the greatest news that the church has. That Christ Jesus loves every single one of us here tonight. He loves every single person in South Normanton and Alfreton and the surrounding areas of Derbyshire. God loves people. And I know sometimes we don't always love people. Sometimes people get on our nerves. But God loves people. God enjoys people. God sent his only son to die upon the cross. We have taken communion already this evening and reminded ourselves that it isn't just for us, but it's for the people of the whole world. God loves the world and God loves people. And people need to hear. There was a time, you know, when we talked about unreached people groups. What we meant was those who live many hours flight away from us. But actually, we have unreached people right on our doorstep. We have a generation growing up. A bit like in the Old Testament, he said they'd never heard in Egypt. They'd never heard of Joseph. They'd never heard of all that. It was a new generation. We have a generation who've never heard of Jesus don't know anything about the gospel. They've heard something about religion, but they don't know anything about the good news of Jesus. And we are here and we exist to be witnesses of what God has done. But it's not just the gospel message. It's the gospel message wrapped up in your life and my life. This thing called a testimony. This morning, somebody said to me, was baptized in Scarborough a couple of weeks ago, and he said, uh, at some point, they asked me, I've got to stand up and give my testimony at the front. I said, oh, and how do you feel about that? He said, I'm nervous. We're all nervous. You know, it's an amazing thing when you meet somebody for the first time, and particularly when you're a preacher or a pastor, and, you know, the conversation gets round to, and what do you do? You know, and your heart starts, and you think, here goes. But actually, that is what we are about. Not just sharing about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but sharing about what Jesus is still doing today. And if you have met with Christ, and if you have had an encounter with the living God, you are a witness. You are a witness to what Jesus did on the cross, and you're a witness to what he has done in your life. And the world wants to know. Basically, people today are interested in your life. That's why they tune in to chat shows and they want to know banal information about silly celebrities who've not had a life. But they want to know because we're all interested in somebody's life. You imagine going to work. You don't imagine, you've got to. You go to work and uh, people talk and you tune out. That's boring. But the moment they mention somebody's name, have you heard about so-and-so? <gasps> Everybody's here. Because we all want to know. We're all interested. And some of the stories people tell are weird and wacky, and we get really into it because we're all gossips at heart. 
even though we shouldn't be. We've all got a story to tell. People want to know. You were like, what? They told you what? You went to that church and what? They preached what? What happened to you? And that happened? Really? And you're different? And you're changed? And look at you now. People want to know what Jesus has done. And you say, oh, I, can't give my, I can't tell my story. I can't give my testimony. I can't share the gospel with anyone. Jesus said, I know that. You're not on your own. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses. I encourage you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you stir up the gift that is within you. You go share your story and share the gospel. So we are Pentecostal people. We're evangelical people. And you know, there's a difference about people who've met with Jesus. We all know of John Wesley, of course, who founded the Methodist movement all those years ago. But he became a pastor before he became a Christian, can you believe? And uh, he had a lot of religion, and he had a lot of knowledge, but he didn't have a personal experience with Jesus. And perhaps tonight, there's even someone in this congregation, and you've got a good dose of religion, and you come to this church, and you enjoy it, and you know a lot of things about God, but you've never actually made a personal decision to follow Jesus. When you're in good company, John Wesley was in the same boat. And he sailed even to be a missionary, and he went to North America. And he wrote an interesting thing in his journal. After many attempts at trying to preach the gospel, and you can't preach the gospel if you don't even know it yourself in your heart, but he tried, and after many attempts, he decided to give it up as a bad job and come back to England. And in his journal, he wrote, I came here to convert the heathen. But, oh God, who will convert me? And he boarded a boat back to England. And while he was on that boat crossing the Atlantic, a couple of things happened. One is he came across some proper Christians, some people from Germany, the Moravians. And they were on board that boat, and they sang like they actually knew God. And they read the Bible like, they actually knew what it was about. And they prayed like God was actually listening to them. And the boat began to rock. And a storm came. And the boat really began to rock. And then it really, really began to rock. And he began to feel, we're not going to survive this. The boat is going to go down. I could lose my life. And one thing that struck him as he was terrified to the core of his being was he looked and just watched these Moravians. Calm. Peaceful. They'd got something he hadn't got. And when he got back to England, he thought, I need to find out what these people have got. And the rest of the story is he went to one of their services, and eventually he discovered Jesus, the Savior, the Prince of Peace, who gave him the same salvation these Moravians had got. People notice when you've got Jesus in your life. You may not notice. You may think, well, it's just me. But the way we live, the way we act, the way we talk, the way we behave, just the way we are when we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're living for Jesus, people notice. And people actually want what we've got. Well, he goes on to say that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is an interesting story, really, because it's possible 
to be serving God and doing all the right things and yet be disobedient to God. You don't look convinced. But if you read what we've just read, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Elsewhere, he had said, go and make disciples of all nations. In Mark's gospel, he said, go and preach the gospel in all the world. And so what did they do after the day of Pentecost? They preached the gospel in Jerusalem. And then they preached the gospel in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem and all Jerusalem and to the uttermost parts of Jerusalem. And the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, which are full of conversions, healings, miracles, outstanding visitations, times of refreshing from the Lord, the fear of God coming upon the church and also upon the surrounding community. The, the uh, secular world and the uh, religious world being in fear of the church. God did remarkable things, but it was only happening in Jerusalem. And I picture the angels sitting up there. This is not in the Bible, this bit. This is just my vivid imagination. Sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, looking down, thinking, when are they going to obey what Jesus said? And they never did. And so he sent a nice, gentle wave of persecution right through the church to get them to do what they should have been doing out of obedience. There's a little point to make here. If God has spoken to you, get on and obey. Because if you don't, God will find a way to bring you to a point of obedience. And a lot of the heartache and problems that we face in our Christian experience are all down to a lack of obedience. Trying to get away with not doing what God's asked us to do. Both in a general way, maybe tonight there's stuff in the Bible and you know it's there, but you're not living it. You'll come unstuck. Because God wants you to follow his word. He wants you to follow his instruction manual. Maybe it's something specific. Maybe God has spoken to you very specifically and you're avoiding it. And you're throwing yourself into the other areas of your Christian life and you think that will make up for it and God will be pleased with me in that. But you're avoiding the very thing that God has spoken to you about. I want to encourage you, get obedient quick. Because if you don't, God will send a lovely gentle wind right through your life and you'll be in a right mess for a while while God brings you back on page. Well, they were missional. And eventually, it says they went into Samaria and they began to preach the gospel. And then eventually, as we know, through Peter and Paul, the gospel... <laughs> sounds like two little dicky birds. You can tell the stage of life I'm in, Kai. Fly away, Peter. Fly away, Paul. Come back, Peter. Come back, Paul. If I've told that a dozen times, I've told it a thousand. The gospel began to spread. God is interested in South Normanton. But actually, that's not the sum total of his interest. God has a lot more in mind than just this locality. And I know that wherever we live... We get nice and comfortable and we think, oh, we'll just concentrate on reaching the little group of people around us and God will raise up lots of other people to, to win the rest of the world. That's not actually in the Bible. God said, you go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth all at the same time. And you can have an impact here in this town, this area. 
You can have an impact on this nation, and you can have an impact on the nations of the world all at the same time. Yes, we've got to be Pentecostal. Yes, we've got to be evangelical, but we need to be missional as well. We need to be a missional people who get hold of the heart of God and realize God loves the world. He loves people from every nation of the world, every tribe of the world, every ethnic background, every people group, every corner. Can a globe have a corner? Every tiny place in this world, God cares and we have a part to play. Did you know there are seven and a half billion people in the planet today? That's a lot of people. No wonder it's busy on the M1. You should come down to the M25. You'd have lots of fun. The games you have to make up while you're sat in traffic. It's a lot of people. And God loves every single one of them. One of the greatest challenges is John 3.16. And you know when you, I don't know if this is true of you, it's true of me. When you know a verse really well, familiarity takes the power away from it sometimes. Does that make sense? And we gloss over it. And sometimes we need to see it with fresh eyes. God loved the world. He loves the world. Now, we can all say we love the world until certain types of people pass across our radar, and then we're not quite so sure. Do you know, every single human being is made in the image of God. Every single person is precious to God. Every single person potentially has a Savior who died on the cross for them. And Calvary is not a just about Western people who've embraced Christianity. Calvary is about the whole world. And there are people tonight bowing down to other gods. Calvary was for them. There are people in other places of worship, worshipping somebody different from the true and the living God. Calvary was for them. There are people who don't like us here in this part of the world. And Calvary was for them. Love has got to come from the heart. And do you know, we cannot reach what we don't love. God could not have saved the human race if he didn't love us. It's love that nailed him to the cross. It's love that kept him on the cross. Oh, call down legions of angels to come and rescue you. He couldn't because he loved us. He loves the world. When we were still sinners, God loved us. Well, there are people who are still sinners today. There are still people not just in a story, but literally in Rio de Janeiro tonight, who are in the wrong kind of places, doing the wrong kind of things, running away from God. And God is there calling to them, come home. There's a work for us to do. And the Holy Spirit wasn't just given so that we could come twice on a Sunday in South Normanton, lift our hands and sing praises to God. That's part of it, but it's only part of it. The power of the Holy Spirit was given so that right across the world in our day and generation, the gospel might be preached and might be proclaimed. Once the world has got a hold of us, there's no stopping what God can do through his church.